name is Laura. I'm the student pastor here at ALC, and it is such a joy to be with you guys this morning. Um, so if you were here last week, Pastor Garris started us off on a new series called Slow Motion. And so over the next few weeks, we are going to be walking through Psalm 23, which is one of the most quoted Psalms of all time. And today we're going to be talking about the concept that's pretty central to this Psalm, and it's the concept of a valley. And so as I was kind of preparing for this morning, I was trying to think, okay, what is our picture of a valley? Especially here in the Pacific Northwest, it's something that's green, luscious, tranquil, dare I say, a happy valley, right? We have this really positive connotation with valleys. A couple of years ago, my husband and I were looking for a new home and we knew that we wanted to be in the Damascus or Happy Valley area. And as we were looking, we found this neighborhood that was being built on the site of an old Boy Scout camp. Now to honor the history of this land, they decided to name the street names, different points of the Boy Scout code. So these street names were things like trustworthy place, courteous court, which is great if you know the history, but on the outside looking in, if your address is one, two, three, cheerful way, Happy Valley, Oregon, It's a little different, right? One of my friends said that address sounds like it's in an episode of Care Bears, right? But I think in reality here in the Pacific Northwest, we have this really positive connotation with valleys. But if you were here with us last week, the valley that David is talking about in this Psalm is something a little different. A valley was a place of desolation, of wilderness. It was not really a place that you wanted to be hanging out. And so for our passage today, I think it's important for us to kind of take ourselves out of our current context and put ourselves in the shoes of David, who when people in this time, when they would have heard the word valley, it would have had a little bit of a different connotation. So today we're going to be looking at Psalm 23, verse four. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, you can pull that up. But Psalm 23, four, says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, she's only talking about one verse. We're gonna get out of here so quickly. Can I caution you about finding a lunch reservation just yet? Because something that is so beautiful about the word of God is that even just one verse Even just one sentence can hold so much meaning and so much beauty, especially if we are willing to take the time to slow down, to invite God into the situation as we read and to ask him what he might have for us. So this morning, I want to just break down this verse. And over the next few weeks, can I just invite you to take this as an opportunity to really meditate on this passage. Maybe over the next few weeks, commit to memorizing Psalm 23. You could write down the verse that we talk about each week on a post-it or a note card, put it somewhere that you see it. And then by the end of this series, you will have all of Psalm 23 memorized. And there is something so beautiful about having scripture just as a part of you. So when you walk through any situation, you can immediately recall the promises of God, no matter what you're walking through. Well, let's go ahead and start breaking down this verse together and to see how this posture of slowing down might teach us about how we can walk through hard times with God. 
So let's start out with that first phrase. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now it's believed that the valley of death was an actual place. So this was a place that David may have very well walked, may have very well led a flock of sheep through during his time as a shepherd. It's also believed that the valley of death was actually the path that Jesus talked about when he shared the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this story, a man who was walking this road was attacked and beaten within an inch of his life. So this was a path that you walked knowing that it was dangerous, knowing that if if you walked it, you stood the chance of being attacked, robbed, or even killed. Now, because the valley of death is an actual place, the people who were hearing this or reading this at the time, they could picture an actual place, right? They could picture a shepherd. Maybe they were a shepherd or they knew someone who was. They could physically step into this psalm. Now, I didn't take a poll of everybody who's here this morning, but I don't think many of us are actually tending flocks of sheep like David was in this passage. So even though we can't necessarily step into his shoes literally, I think that we have all had times that have felt very much like we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, death doesn't just mean physical death. It could be the death of a dream, the death of a relationship, the death of expectations. Maybe it's a diagnosis that you never thought that you would receive. A divorce within your family, a friend who has betrayed you, a financial situation that you just can't see your way out of. Whatever it is, I think that we all have had times or currently are in a time where we have this reality of finding ourselves in a valley. And what's interesting about this verse is that David is saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't know about you, if I'm walking through something that's called the valley of death, I'm probably not like meandering through it, right? I am sprinting. I'm like, how can I get out of this as fast as possible? And I think that's true of the valleys that we find ourselves in, in our everyday lives. We don't want to be there any longer than we have to be. But a lot of times our presence in these valleys and the amount of time that we spend there, it's not always in our control. And so what do we do to cope with the fact that we are not in control of our presence in these valleys? I think a lot of times we turn to things to give ourselves the illusion of being in control. Like I can't control that I'm in this situation, but I can control how I feel about it or I can control how I don't feel about it. I think one of the easiest things to do when we find ourselves in a tough situation is just to numb. Just to say, you know what? I'm just going to pretend that this isn't happening. I'm going to ignore it. Maybe for you, it's overindulging in eating or drinking. Maybe it's binging on Netflix, online shopping. There's so many things and our world makes it super easy for us to distract ourselves from the realities that we find ourselves in. And I think one of the most dangerous ones is that we can start to isolate ourselves from those around us. I think a lot of times it's easy to walk in on a Sunday morning and we look around at this room and we recognize, okay, no one else's life is perfect, but they all seem to be handling it a lot better than me. I know that other people are walking through hard things, but man, it sure seems like everyone else has it all figured out. And I just don't wanna deal with that this morning. So it's easy to just put on a smile, put on a brave face, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps 
and just say, I'm just going to get through this by myself. And while in the short term, this feels like an easy way to just get through it because I'm just not going to think about it. In reality, it's exhausting because God created us to feel this wide range of emotions. He created us to feel happiness and joy, but at the same time, he created us to feel these hard, difficult emotions, not so that we just sit there, but so that we can experience him deeper within these valleys. Now, if I were to just leave it here, that would be kind of depressing, right? I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay, see you next week. Like that, not a good spot to leave it, right? So let's continue and let's see what God's answer is when we find ourselves in these valleys. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now, what I notice here is that David isn't saying, okay, God, you are going to take my fear away, right? It's not, or take the evil away, right? He's not saying, okay, God, I want you to create an absence of evil. No, he's talking to God about having an absence of fear in the face of evil. And this might not seem easy with everything going on in our world. Turn on the news, open your phone. You will find thousands of reasons to be afraid. And I think sometimes it can feel like in this world, there's all this evil and there's all these reasons to be afraid and that can feel like we are isolated. But can I tell you that facing evil is not a unique experience for those of us here in 2022. Because 2000 years ago, right before Jesus went to the cross, he was talking to his disciples and he assured them that what was ahead of them was not going to be free of trouble and evil. John 16, 32 says, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The path that Jesus is about to walk right after he says this to his disciples, all of them desert him. He is alone. He faces and walks through this valley alone. But what does he tell his disciples? It's going to look like I am alone, but I know I am not because the father is with me. And so he can tell the disciples, you are going to face trials. You are going to face hard times, but guess what? I am going to be with you because the father is with me. So this leads us to the question, what does it mean to believe that God is with us? David says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. But what does that practically look like? To believe that God is with us means that we ultimately put our hope, our trust and our very lives into the hands of God because we believe that he is good. We believe he wants to be with us. In his book, With, 
There's this author, Sky Janathi, and he breaks down this idea of what it means to be with God in relationship rather than just interacting with him through a purely religious viewpoint. He observes that most Christians actually end up finding themselves viewing belief in God as a means to an end. And that means to an end looks different for everyone. For some people, it's to receive blessings, to find purpose, to find meaning. And when that is our only purpose of believing in God, it ends up coming up short time and time again, because we have these expectations that we put on God as a way for us to be able to try to just put him in this box that we can understand. But suddenly when things don't work out the way that we think they will, it causes us to doubt. It causes us to question who God is. And over and over again, we find ourselves back at square one. There has to be a better way to fear no evil, to believe that God is with us. But where does that start? In the book, uh, Sky Janathi writes, we overcome fear by surrendering control. But surrender is only possible when we have total assurance we are safe. This assurance only comes when we trust our heavenly father desires to be with us and will not let us fall. So if you're here this morning and you feel like it is really hard to trust God, it is really hard to trust him with your life, with your kids' lives, with whatever situation you're in, can I just invite you to think about these two questions? First, do you believe that God wants to be with you? Or ultimately, do you believe you're on your own? You have to figure it out by yourself. And second, do you believe that God is good? and that he not only loves you, but that he likes you as well. We not only have to believe that God is with us, but we have to believe that he wants to be with us. He doesn't have to be in relationship with us just out of obligation, right? Or because he has to be. We have to believe that he desires and loves us so much that he wants to walk with us through whatever we are facing. If you have ever doubted that God wanted to be with you, can I just invite you to read the book of John? Because I think sometimes we lose the power of the fact that God wanted to be with us so much that he actually did it. He sent his son down to earth to live a fully human life, to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins so that we can not just view God as this religious um, viewpoint, right? But that we can actually have real relationship with him. Through the Holy Spirit, he is always present with us, no matter what we are going through. God always wants to be with you. And that does not change even during hard times. But I think we have to ask ourselves, are we desiring to be with God or are we just viewing him as a means to an end? Let's go ahead and finish out the verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Now, again, this whole idea of a rod and a staff, we might not really have context for that in our current situation. So I love how this verse is written in the Amplified Bible version. It says, your rod to protect and your staff to guide, they comfort and console me. Now, if we were reading this really quickly, it might be easy to assume, oh, that's just two words that are kind of describing the same thing, right? Because when I picture a shepherd, I picture my mom's nativity scene, right? And it has a little shepherd boy and he has a staff with a little curved hook at the top. But actually these are two different things. So I've got a picture for us that kind of explains the difference between a rod and a staff, because I think this imagery can be so beautiful if we understand really what David is describing. So the rod was meant to protect sheep from dangerous predators, okay? They could ward off wolves or whatever else might be trying to attack the sheep. Where the staff was meant to guide the sheep away from dangerous situations. So the little um, like crook in the staff is actually meant to pick sheep up out of ravines or to guide them away from poisonous plants or dangerous cliffs. Just like the shepherd, in God's goodness, he wants to offer us his guidance and protection. And although the sheep, which, you know, is us in this metaphor, if we need to be reminded of that, sometimes the sheep, they want to wander off, right? They see another field that looks like it has a little bit greener grass than the one that they're in. But the rod and the staff that not only provides the sheep guidance, but it also shows them who they can trust. It points who is the one who is going to give them protection, who is the one who is going to guide them on safe trails. I love this quote from Albert Barnes's commentary. It says, the sight of the rod and the staff consoles me. They show that the shepherd is there. As significant of his presence and his office, they impart confidence, showing that he will not leave me alone and that he will defend me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your protection and your guidance, this is what brings me comfort. But like we talked about just now saying that God doesn't necessarily take away evil, right? But how can we not have fear in the face of evil? We know that comfort doesn't always mean that our lives are comfortable. Just because we have comfort doesn't necessarily mean that our situation is going to change. So what does it mean to find comfort in hard times? Well, Jess Connolly, who's a Christian author, put out a podcast a few weeks ago talking about this idea of what it means to live with expectations of God versus living in expectancy of God. And I think that it can really beautifully apply to this idea of seeking comfort in hard times. When you're living in this posture of having expectations of God, you probably have really specific ways that you are asking God to show up. Maybe it's a certain time timeline, a way that you're asking him to come through. And you have this little box of, okay, God, if you're real, if you're there, if you're good, if you love me, this is how you will show up. And also if you could do it in the next two weeks, that would be great. And what's hard about this is that God doesn't always show up that way. And so when we live in this posture of only having expectations of God, it can cause us to be in this cycle of frustration it can even lead us to doubt if God really exists or if he is good. 
But on the other hand, if we're going to live in expectancy of God, this posture is a little bit more open-handed. Your eyes are on the horizon. You're saying, okay, God, I am walking through this, but I am going to look for how you are going to move rather than focusing on how I want this to play out. This posture is focused more on who God is rather than the things he does. This posture says, God, I don't see the way out of this. I don't see how this is going to end, but I know the truth of who you are. I know you are who you say you are. I know that your plans are good. I know that you work all things together. And so I am going to find comfort. I'm going to find peace simply in the truth that your love for me is never ending, that you hold all things together. So are we placing our hope for comfort in things working out exactly the way that we want? Or can we find comfort in the fact and the knowledge that God is who he says he is? Earlier this year, um, I kind of came to this crossroads where I had to really walk through and figure this out of, okay, how am I going to live in the midst of a valley? My husband and I have been walking through uh, a journey with infertility over the last couple of years. And I came to this realization that no matter what, I cannot control this. At the end of the day, this is completely in God's hands. And so I have two choices in this. I can live in frustration that things aren't following my timeline. I can live in questioning, in anger, in bitterness. Or I can choose to say, God, this is still hard. There are days that I do still question. There are times where I don't understand why I'm walking through this, but I believe that you are good. I believe that you hold all things together. I believe that you are working through this, that nothing is wasted. My situation doesn't change within either of these two viewpoints, but over here, when I am living in expectancy of how God is going to move rather than holding him to these expectations, I have so much more peace. I can take a step back. I can try to see the bigger picture. There's a song by Maverick City Music that's called Million Little Miracles. And it just talks about how in each and every day of our lives, there are so many miracles that God is working, but we have to be willing to have the eyes to see them. Because if we are so focused on our miracle looking this one particular way, we are going to miss what God is doing. And I know that my situation is not unique and that there are so many here who are in situations where your suffering maybe doesn't have a specific end date. And so walking that path can feel tiring. It can feel frustrating. It can feel long. It can feel isolating. But can I just tell you that God wants to be with you through it. And it's up to us to make the choice to step into that to say, okay, God, I'm letting go. I'm letting go of control. I'm inviting you in. God, show me what you want me to learn through this. It doesn't mean that every day is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that every day you're going to wake up and have the most positive outlook ever. But what it does mean is that you can rest. You can rest in the knowledge that you don't have to have it all figured out, that you don't have to be in control. You can rest in the knowledge that the one who created the universe cares deeply about you 
and your situation. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God wants to be with us. That's the bottom line. That's what it's all about. He wants us to trust him, to find rest in him, to allow his goodness to sustain us even through the darkest of valleys. And it's so easy to just speed through life, right? To jump from one thing to the next, to feel like you're constantly having to keep up with everyone around you. But can I tell you that the reality of being with God that is not compatible with the breakneck pace of the world. We have got to slow down to find rest in the one true God. And even more, I think that this is, um, this is so seen when we're walking through hard times, right? It's applauded by our society to just power through, to just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and to just get through it on our own. But that's not what God invites us to. God invites us to something different. He invites us into a posture of slowing down in hard times. And it gives us the space to be with God and experience his presence and miracles in a unique way. So if you are here this morning and you would say that you are walking through a valley, can I just invite you to rest in the truth that you are not alone. God is with you. God wants to be with you. His love never runs out. He never changes, even when the valley seems so dark. And in order for us to begin this journey of walking with God in hard times, maybe for the first time, or maybe just in a new way this week, can I invite you to consider these three questions? The first is what is your greatest desire? Is it comfort, purpose, blessings? Or is your greatest desire simply to know and be known by the one true God who created you? Because your answer to that question is going to determine where you find comfort in hard times. The next is, do you believe that God is with you? Do you believe he wants to be with you? Can you really trust him with what is going on in your life? And the last is, what are your expectations of God? Have you created this little box for God to be in? Or are you making the choice to live a life of expectancy? Are you living in expectation or expectancy of God? Now, these questions are not a judgment. They're not a checklist of how well you're doing this week. These questions are an invitation, an invitation to live a life with God, no matter your circumstance. It's an invitation to experience the love and comfort, guidance and protection of God, no matter what you are walking through. Well, we're going to sing one more song together this morning. It's one that we've sang quite a bit lately. Um, it's called Same God. 
And the beauty of this song is that it reminds us that the same God who we worship, the same God who wants to be with each and every one of us this morning, he is the same God who David wrote about as his shepherd, the same God who sent his son to earth to die for us. His love, his guidance, his protection, it was the same yesterday, the same today and the same tomorrow. It never changes. So this week, let us find rest in that. Let us slow down, invite God into our situation and watch him move. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this morning. God, I know that with so many people in this room that there are situations that feel impossible. There are things that we are facing that we can't see our way out of. But God, we know that you are there. God, we thank you for the truth that you want to be with us, that your love for us is never ending, that you never change. God, I pray that this week that we could just be honest with ourselves, that we could ask ourselves those questions, that we could come to you, that we could wrestle through how we're feeling. God, I just pray that your truth, your love, your protection, God, that is where we would find our peace. That is where we would look to for comfort. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing in each and every one of our lives. Draw near to us this week. Allow us to experience you in a brand new way. Name me pray, amen. Would you stand with us as we worship together?